revelation going on in my soul. Well, thank you, Kevin Moe, and welcome to another edition of Live from the Heartland. This is number 76 of our Heartland at Home series because we've been broadcasting from home during the time of the pandemic. I'm Michael James. I'm here with Katie Hogan, and we've got uh, some really interesting guests coming up. We're going to have the singer-songwriter Dan and Claudia Zanes and our very own representative friend Robin Gable. Good morning to you, Katie. How are you doing? Pretty good, Michael. Pretty good. Glad that uh, we're, uh, we're talking to people on a sunny day here. The sun is shining in my window, causing all kind of uh, problems on the screen, but we're going to live with it. This is the weekend that we uh, fall back, which, oh, is, God. which is becoming very um, uh, controversial, really, for people as they find that their circadian rhythms are a little upset by it. And I'm one of those people. It, it takes me a week to get over, fall back or spring forward. But. Well, I like, you know, the sunshine as late as possible. But I say I, I like to say that I. I do like waking up to the sun coming in the window rather than it still being dark. Well, six or seven in the morning. So tomorrow, well, then you're, you're happy about it then. What good things happened to you this week? Well, I was up in the Northwest the first time out of town since the pandemic. I went to see my old pal, Dave Megacy, uh, who was turning 80 and he had all kind of family flying in from all kind of places. Uh, it was real nice. He lives up on Mystery Bay in a little town called Nordland. And I, I had a good time, talked to a lot of interesting people. Some hopefully will come on the show at some point. And uh, one of the highlights was actually at low tide going and getting oysters from Mystery Bay. And then we did eat some of them. They were, uh, they were very plump and big. <laughs> plump How about you, Kate? Anything great happening for you? Uh, well, I didn't leave town. I'm here. I'm trying to get through my my little office there, I'm doing a project, but I, I had a really nice uh, Day of the Dead altar for the first time in a while in my house. And uh, it was, it gave me good, great joy to put it well, together. Well, you inspired us at the James Fort over here to uh, do a Day of the Dead exhibit. So there's all kind of pictures of dead relatives up above our fireplace. Nice, nice. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about what's going on in the world. We have a guest coming in in about four minutes. so. Um, the Glasgow Climate Conference is going on uh, in Scotland, and um, there was a lot of talk this week because the leaders, the world leaders, show up for the start, and then they take off, and the hard work begins. Um, for us in Illinois, our governor decided to uh, make an appearance because he is intent on making Illinois, kind of the Silicon Valley for electric cars, um, if you will. So maybe we'll talk to Robin Gable about that when she comes on. Um, we also had some elections this week that we still haven't figured out. We, we just know that Virginia has a new governor, a Republican governor, and um, we have some other, some good and bad news, both from Tuesday. We haven't analyzed it enough, so we're just going to move on. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> to the we'll art. for those mail-in ballots to keep coming in in various places. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the arts. Um, some details for you on the 27th annual Black Harvest Film Festival, which starts today. Actually, it started last night, and goes through December 2nd at Cisco Film Center, who partners with School of the Art Institute to put this on. 
Um, I got to mention the film Attica, given that we talked not that long ago to uh, the lawyer that represented some of uh, who took those Michael places. Deutsch right. was on our show. Yeah, and that's showing twice this month. Um, there are shorts showing all week long. Um, the Woodstock of House is showing November 11th, and that features the, um, oh gosh, now I'm going to forget the name of the uh, house. The music, no, the, the musical event that happens on the South Side, that the, this movie is about that. Uh, um, I wish you had it, but it'll. Uh, I, it'll come back to me. Uh, there's also Gordon Parks works um, are being featured um, on Mondays, uh, Lead Belly and Moments Without Proper Names. I thought I was honoring you, Michael, as a photographer to mention the, the Gordon Parks aspect of it. Well, thank you very much. I do like Gordon Parks. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I really want to encourage people to check out. They can see things virtually or they can go down to the film festival. This I picked up at the library which tells us all, every single film and all the other events in the Black Harvest Film Fest. Katie, uh, why don't you share with us a little bit about what the Rogers Park Westridge Historical Society is doing to honor the Pollard family? Right, uh, this is pretty exciting. The Pollard family um, came to Rogers Park uh, in the 1880s. John was the son of free black Virginians. I'm just going to read this because their family is pretty amazing who um, sent him to Leavenworth, Kansas to avoid the risk and ca of capture and enslavement back in the 1880s in Virginia. Their uh, young Pollard entered the union army at age 15. And at the end of the civil war returned to Kansas where he trained as a barber. He opened up his own shop in Missouri where he met and married Amanda Hughes, a talented and enterprising woman who had come to the town to further her education. They stayed until the birth of their first three children, yada, yada. They wound up uh, opening, uh, arriving in Rogers Park in 1911. Um, they lived just down the road from where that's I live. True. They, they, he opened up his, his Rogers Park shop in 1886 and he, he moved on to Lunt Avenue in 1911. She worked at Marshall Fields uh, as a, an accomplished dressmaker he had his barber shop. They had eight kids. And here is what their eight kids did. Um, let's see. They were Artemisia, the first licensed black nurse in Illinois. Luther, one of the first black silent film directors and producers in the U.S. Naomi, the first black woman graduate of Northwestern University. Fritz, the first black quarterback and head coach in pro football, as well as Hughes, a world famous jazz musician, Leslie, a football coach and sports writer, Franklin, who acted in silent movies produced by his brother and others, and Ruth, who worked as a secretary and lived in the family home all her life. Wow. The only one I knew about was Fritz Pollard, because I think he went to Lane and then he was the first black player in the NFL. There was yeah. another 17 years till there was another. I, I think it's a wonderful effort on the part of uh, our friends at Rogers Park and Westridge Historical Society, and everybody should go on their website and sign the petition to change the now named Passion Park to Pollard Park. And their house is right next to the park, and the folks who live in it are part of spearheading this effort. So oh, that's, that's, that's some great news. I really, uh, every time I drive by that park, I'm going to be more inspired and I drive by it regularly. Katie, how about telling us what's going on with cases of bulbs? Oh, right. Uh, B -U -L -B -S. 
<laughs> three crates, three crates of uh, bulbs have arrived for the Metro Garden Station, and we'll be planting them this uh, today and tomorrow, Saturday and Sunday, uh, the sixth and seventh, starting at 10 a.m. If you want to learn more about how to plant bulbs, this is a good way to do it by helping get these bulbs into that lovely garden, which is located at uh, between Greenleaf and Lunt at Ravenswood. Um, a lot of good work has happened in that garden for a while. Bring, uh, you know, bring your work clothes, gloves, and maybe a shovel. And uh, we'll also be cleaning up any litter and trimming trees. So a nice activity for a very beautiful weekend. So mm, station break time, Michael. Yeah, you are listening to Live from the Heartland, uh, WLUW 887, WLUW.org, anywhere in the world. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are we doing a little music? We're just coming right back with uh, Representative Gable. because she's Okay, well, here. that's it. Here we come. And we are back with State Representative Robin Gable, who is uh, the representative for the area just north of where Michael and I sit. Um, and the 18th District, right? That's your Correct. number? Correct. So you just finished a rather whirlwind veto session. Um, so I hope you've caught up on sleep. And um, first, uh, let me ask, what was your highest priority uh, going into this veto session and how'd it go? Yeah, I mean, I would say there were three bills that were particularly important to me. Um, one was the uh, Certified Professional Midwives Licensure which we were able to get out of the house. It went to the Senate. There were still, there, there were still a few changes we needed. So I was just anxiously trying to get that bill out in veto session and we did successfully. So we are now the 36th state. Once again, not in the forefront, but we are there <laughs> um, of allowing uh, uh, a new licensure for certified professional midwives to, uh, to deliver babies at home. So women now have more choices legally. Uh, there have been women who've been delivering babies at home for many years, but it has been illegal. And there's been a lot of difficulties with um, transferring to the hospital if something happens um, and other problems. So now they'll be able to have a relationship with a hospital, with a doctor without any complications. So we are thrilled that uh, we were able to get that through and the governor's uh, committed to signing it. So. Good work, good work. Um, uh, what was your second and third? Yeah, the other big bill was the uh, uh, repealing the parental notice of abortion. Um, we just felt like that there was no reason that uh, young women had to tell their parents before they had an abortion. This, there's very few women that actually don't tell their parents, most do. And um, the, the ones that don't generally have a good reason for not telling them. Mm -hmm. uh, either they live in a violent home or the father's actually the father of the baby or um, there are a lot of difficulties and they would have to get go to court to go around this law. And it was very traumatic for young people, first of all, to figure out how to go to court. Secondly, to then have to, in a courtroom, uh, explain their reason for not telling their parents, okay. which is always traumatic. And making them relive that trauma. Right. Um, so we are happy that we're done with that law that's repealed. And uh, the governor also is committed to signing that bill when he gets back from Glasgow at the uh, COP26. So we're excited about that. Can you elaborate on the governor going to Glasgow? 
Sure, sure. So he was thrilled to be able to go and bring good news to the to the to the meeting that we passed the uh, uh, climate energy jobs bill uh, just a few uh, months ago. So he is bringing to them probably one of the most uh, progressive bills, progressive legislation around the country in terms of equity, but also a true commitment to have renewable energy by 2050 and a path to getting there. So uh, he is there. He took the Speaker of the House with him and the Senate president. Um, they are there talking about that bill and our new electric vehicle uh, bill that we passed, um, as well as looking for business in London. So. Um, I'm glad they're there, and I'm glad they're able to tout the uh, successes that we've had here. Robin, uh, we have a, I think it's a Ford plant here in Chicago. Is that where they're going to do electric cars? Is that where they do the 150 pickup truck? I saw some great reports in the past about is that is the world's biggest selling vehicle. As uh, if that goes electric, that makes a big dent in uh, changing our energy priorities. Absolutely. I mean, right now, Rivian is in Bloomington. That's probably the biggest plant that we have that, that's electric. Um, but uh, we, what we did was we changed some, made some tax breaks for them, but we also put uh, uh, walls up. So it would have to be, they'd have to pay a fair wage. We're not, we don't want to race to the bottom. And there's also equity provisions in there. So they would have to be hiring um, people from our BIPOC communities. So. Um, what about, you didn't get to your third issue. Um, do you well, the third issue is just a protection for um, uh, 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 people who, well, I, I, more protection that we make sure that people get vaccinated or right. use other mitigations to prevent the spread of, uh, of COVID-19. You know, we're dealing with a worldwide pandemic. Our rates were going down, but they're still higher than they were a while ago. And uh, the epidemic went up this week, too. And the epidemiologists predict predict another high wave in January, February. And already, you know, I, yesterday I heard about reports from Germany where they are not higher than they've ever been. Right. And right. I, I read that, too. Yeah. yeah. And and Europe in general, Europe in general is having a, a, a bad uh, re. Uh, Rekindling of the pandemic. Jump yeah. in the and, and unfortunately, we follow Europe. Yeah. You know, we've been following Europe all along. So part of the problem is that they dropped their mitigations. Yeah. So we have to be clear that we need to keep up our mitigations of uh, testing or, well, vaccination is the best. And then uh, uh, mask wearing and then uh, testing. So. Yeah. So let's, um, let's move on to um, redistricting. Redistricting. Yeah, yeah uh, Illinois, as I recall, had lost a congressional seat. Uh, is that true? And what are the implications of that? I did also hear that uh, Representative Kinzinger, who was critical of Trump, is not running because he was redistricted in a way that he had to run against a hood who's a pretty conservative Republican guy. Fill us in on the redistricting. What's going on? So we did a vote on a new congressional map. And I think the key to this new map, the most exciting piece, is that we are now going to have two Latino districts. There's a, a Latino district in the north side that's about 44% Latino, and, uh, and then a separate one on the south side. 
So this was kind of a dream of theirs for a long time, because as you know, it was one district connected by a, a telephone, you know, yes. it was a telephone. And um, the, earmuff, the earmuff district. Earmuff district, yeah. So now there's gonna be two, two districts uh, one of, of great influence and the other of majority Latino. So um, I think that's the best thing that came out of this map. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, we have some problems with it too, but let me get, get to some other things before we go to that. Um, your district may have more coastline than any other representative. Is that true? Because um, you have a long lot of coastline. Uh, I do. I do. I'm thinking that Cam Buckner also has a lot on the south side. Okay. Uh, I didn't. I didn't look at the map. To I just thought I'd ask you that. Yeah. In yeah. any case, it. I mean, environmental questions are one of your main issues. So, um, what is most pressing right now in your mind on protecting Lake Michigan and all the Great Lakes that are connected? Um, well, I was just at a, a rally the other day that um, where they talked about these um, line three and line five yeah. that are, are uh, pipelines coming from Canada uh, with um, crude oil, yep. like the worst oil from those um, from, from fracking. Yep. And, uh, and then they want they want to build these pipelines under Lake Michigan, like in the soil there and going all the way through. Don't uh, let them. Don't I let them. I, I know. I mean, I think part of it is federal. Part of it is some state. And uh, so I'm going to be looking into that because that is a big, big concern to me. We've covered we've covered those lines extensively on this show. And there is one, of course, the existing line up uh, underneath the Mackinac Ridge is of great concern because it's over. It's almost as old as I. And they've already had a few dings. Uh, found in it. And uh, we all know <laughs> what can happen if that happens to the fresh water supply. So yeah, that's uh, a big concern, big, big concern of ours. Yes. yes. Um, so I'm going to bring it up to the Great Lakes Legislative Caucus as well. I'm, I'm the chair of that group right now. And it has eight, the eight states that surround the Great Lakes, as well as um, a couple of the provinces in Canada. Yeah. So I'm going to bring it up as an issue we need to look at. What else does that caucus do? I mean, someone gave us a few points of interest. Well, yes, we, we have. Well, we also uh, do model legislation for all the states. We've done one on lead, uh, lead pipes, lead, lead lines. Um, we're now our new project this year is going to be looking at um, uh, uh, protecting uh, the coastlines and the coastline uh, uh, cities around the lakes due to climate change and the the problems that they will have and coming up with ideas to make sure that they can uh, uh, exist during, during and after this climate crisis. Robin, what can you tell us about the uh, Cook County State's Attorney's Office resentencing initiative? You got anything on that? I don't right now. Okay. okay. <laughs> that was part of... Uh, Kelly Cassidy can tell us more about that because um, she was involved in that too. Um, what about Illinois Solar for All? All is that a step forward? Uh, do you think? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So we we had we had that program before. It just never had enough funding. And uh, with this new bill that we passed, we're we're hoping that there will be more funding there. So that I mean, it was a lottery, and only a few of the applications 
could be funded. And now we hope that, that more can. I mean, we, this is a very aggressive approach to solar and wind um, because we need it. You know, if our goal is to get rid of coal and gas and eventually nuclear, we need to very aggressively be working on these other. So, how does that do uh, that? How does that relate to a guy like me who thinks, well, I got some sun coming in on some flat roof. Can I do solar at my house? How do I go about that? How does the state help me? So, there are a number of companies that, uh, that, provide the service. And what they would do is come by and do an assessment of your house to see if it's worthwhile putting on a, a solar on your roof. Um, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. It depends on the shape of your roof. It depends on the direction that your roof, you know, reflects the sun. So um, they would do an analysis. But with Solar for All, you could also uh, buy into a, um, a company that that uh, would build these solar um uh, so it's not just on your roof, but it would be like a solar plant and, uh, and you would be having a share of that. And that was where you would be getting your energy. I understand that. I understand that there's a, a kind of um, retro, uh, not useful uh, aspect to the solar bill that no longer allows people to actually sell ComEd the extra energy that they uh, Hmm. build in their in their up in their batteries uh over what they need it used to be that you could sell it back to the local do you do you know if that's true or i'm not sure i'll i'll, I'll let you know i mean if it was it was certainly slipped in the city is not oh, doing no really <laughs> okay i'm sorry to ask you questions <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> no, I mean, the bill was like you know over 100 you know it was a very yeah huge huge, huge. but you read every page i, I read every page so I, <laughs> <laughs> um, you do seem to get along very well with the governor. Um, how, what does he do that gets your biggest approval and support? And uh, should we elect him when the, re-elect him when the time comes? Well, we definitely should re-elect him. I think he has a very open administration where you can always talk to his staff or him if you need to. Mm -hmm. um, he really meets with everyone. He invites people over to the to the uh, mansion and the governor's mansion, and he calls people in for meetings. Um, I was incredibly impressed with how he ended up dealing with the um, climate energy bill. Uh, he really did a great job and his staff uh, were excellent, excellent partners in that work. Um, and you know, he doesn't, he didn't, didn't hold grudges because I passed a bill that he didn't like and he kind of asked me, a little too late not to not to not to run it. It was this bill around um, ambulance uh, ambulances. Uh, they wanted to be cut out of uh, managed care and put in fee for service. The department was against it, and um, you know I passed the bill with uh, I think all but one vote, and it went over to the Senate and passed with all the votes and uh, came and uh, so um, it didn't come back for us to do a, a concurrence on it. Just went straight to the governor. He ended up vetoing the bill, and then I filed to override his veto. Which <laughs> I was the only bill that we overrode the governor's veto on. Okay. Well, that's a feather in your cap. <laughs> well, you know, I, I wish I didn't have to do it, right? Right, it's, right. Governor, well, I, I gotta, I gotta say, I have a lot of respect for the uh, governor. I uh, the first time I met him, he came to the Heartland, and it was during the time he was running against Jan Schakowsky for Congress. And I wasn't real friendly, uh, but I, I hope to apologize to him in person someday, maybe as a guest on this show. Uh, 
because I really think he's done well throughout the pandemic. And uh, when I heard his victory speech, uh, I was very impressed with him. And I got to say, for, for having doubted that this guy would make a good governor, I've been convinced otherwise. And I'm grateful for that. Good. And I agree. His, his, uh, the way he handled the pandemic, I think he was a, an incredible leader. In that. So uh, given that we're running out of time on, on this segment, uh, can I just ask, are you going to take a vacation before you go back to Springfield? And how's your grandbaby? <laughs> oh, the grandbaby's great. <laughs> we all dressed up as the baby shark family. <laughs> you guys are so horny. <laughs> she loves baby sharks. I'm like, you know, anything for this child. Sure. So, so we had a great time going around as the baby. I got costumes for everyone. Mama shark, daddy shark, grandma shark, grandpa shark. And there we were. So it was fun. It was fun. Uh, Robin, I know we, uh, we always tight for time, but can you share with us some of the things you would like to see happen in state government in the period of time to come? Sure. Some of the sure. things that are dear to your heart and your mind and what you want us to know about and to uh, try to influence others on. Thank you. I'll give you just a couple of highlights. So one thing that we are going to be working on is healthcare for all, really looking at who's uninsured, why are they uninsured, and how can we fix this? Um, the work we've been doing so far shows that there are most of the uninsured are actually eligible for Medicaid, but not enrolled. So the question is, how can we make that easier and make sure that people who are, 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 are eligible are enrolled? But then there's still another population that we need to work with. So healthcare for all is one. And um, the second issue is I'm, I'm really looking at doing a uh, deposit for uh, bottles. Great. We can if we can, because we're one of the states that doesn't have that. And uh, that's one way to keep things uh, recycled that need to be recycled and are not right now. So, so that would mean that people wouldn't be collecting cans and bottles and taking them to Michigan to make a buck. Right. They could just get make a buck right here in Illinois. So, well, what do you think the chances are of that happening? Um, you know, I, I don't think we've done it for a while, but I think that there's a lot more sentiment in the legislature for for that kind of an issue. So I'm hoping it'll fly. Uh, uh, Representative Robin Gable of the 18th District, um, all the nice people north of us here, all the way up to Northfield. Uh, thank you for your good work on behalf of the people of Illinois. And we'll see you again next thank time. Thank you, Katie and Michael. Always good to see you. All right. Take, Take care. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Michael. You are listening to Live from the Heartland on WLUW 88.7 FM. We're going to hear uh, a song by our next guests. It's called New Beginnings. And our guests are Dan and Claudia Zanes. We'll be right back. Everybody's talking about new beginnings, new beginnings, new beginnings. Everybody's talking about new beginnings. Don't you want to go? And everything is broken down. New beginnings, new beginnings, new beginnings. All out in the open now. New beginnings. Don't you want to go?
beautiful music from Dan and Claudia Zanes, uh, two artists whose paths crossed in 2016. That's right. My goodness, you're <laughs> and you've been making music and history since. So, so let's start with you, Dan. Uh, age before beauty, you know how that goes. <laughs> um, Fair enough. <laughs> you had a very full musical career prior to meeting your partner there, Claudia, um, including winning a Grammy, I think, uh, uh, for, and was that the first, I, Lynn was telling me it was the first Grammy for an individual singing children's songs. Is that right? It was the first one for an independent artist doing uh, children's music. As yeah. opposed to? Um, pe you know, people were on major labels and, you know, uh, uh, okay. Uh, and, you know, Elmo won a lot of them. Um, so it was that Elmo. I know. <laughs> well, tell us about your winning uh, compared to Elmo. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were probably equally happy. It's a good, it's a good feeling to win a Grammy. Um, but but you know what, though? What's really a good feeling is to have a career. That's you know, that's an unbelievable feeling. And and, and um, the prizes are great, but they don't. It's no indication of what kind of a career you have or how you're touching people or anything like that. It's just a nice prize, but I'm grateful for that. But what I'm really grateful for is that when, uh, you know, I played rock and roll and spent a lot of time coming through Chicago with a group called the Del Fuegos and then played, um, played family music for 15 years. The first show that I did outside of New York was in Chicago at the Old Town School of Folk Music. And then five years ago, when I met Claudia, I, I knew right away that she was the person I've been dreaming about my whole life. And so, um, you know, so that was really the, that was the, the significant moment for me. And our first date, our, we met in New York, and then at the end of the day, Claudia went back to Boston. I stayed in New York. We started talking on the phone, and a month later, we had our first date, which was in Chicago Ooh. at the Old Town School of Folk Music. That's right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so we're important to you all. That's right. You sure are. <laughs> well, I'd like to. I'd like to ask a little bit. Uh, I'd like to know a little bit more about the time the two of you were sitting around Dan's kitchen table, and how that led to you all to begin making music together. Yeah. So as Dan mentioned, I was living in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, living life. I was a, a director of a music therapy program out there. And one of my good friends from music school, we went to Berklee College of Music together, another Haitian jazz artist, introduced me to Dan. I was coming to visit her for Labor Day. She said, hey, there's somebody I want you to meet out here, your background in music therapy. I met this guy, Dan. He does music with families and children. I think y'all will really hit it off. And so I said, okay, sure. So we came, you know, we came by in Brooklyn. We visited Dan in Brooklyn. Literally, I mean, I was I was speechless because again, the the part that Dan of, of Brooklyn that Dan lived in was a pretty like a, a West Indian neighborhood, and one of the things that stood out right away was a huge Haitian flag that Dan had in his window. So I was kind of yeah, I was I was blown away by that. Um, and as we entered into the house, I noticed he had this incredible record collection of Haitian records that I grew up with that my dad would spin and play as a child, records I hadn't seen in years. So 
I knew there was something cosmic and special about him right away. Um, we sat, we talked, we learned we were both from New Hampshire, so there was lots to talk about. Um, and then we sat around that table and I think we made music for something like five hours or six hours or so, and it just felt like, I don't know if 20 minutes had passed. Um, so music just has, yeah, music has that power. And so we, we sang and sang and sang and the conversation flowed, guacamole, plantain chips, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great take. Wait, Michael, I'm, I'm asking the next question. You, you jumped ahead of me. So I've got to do this because you went to school and you headed up this musical music therapy program in Boston, right, Claudia? Um, yeah. And then and then what I read about you all is that you um, you try to create these sensory friendly concerts. Um, so between the two, the therapy and the uh, sensory friendly concerts, can you tell me what the well, what is sensory friendly concerts entail to set that up, for example. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's something that many presenters are looking at these days. It really is a way of opening the door wider for more people to enjoy, feel comfortable, feel included in the musical making experience. So live music making. And in particular, we're looking at venues and performance venues. So when we open the door wider, we're thinking about neurodiversity and the various ways in which people receive and express musically. So um, that means things like working with presenters to create the conditions, right? So things like the volumes, the noise volumes, um, maybe the lights are at a certain level. We work with the ushers as well to make sure that um, nobody's shushing people and keeping folks in their seats. Maybe it's a more in invitational way to be in music. You can stand up, you can dance, you can jump as long as you're safe with your body. It's all good because we know that there's not one way to be in music. And I think the thing that we can all speak to is the power of music and how music can be very healing. Music can be a way that we build community. Uh, it's a way to socialize. It's a way to engage with your family, with folks you do know and don't know. Um, so so that's, that's a big part of it too. So my music therapy background is really looking at ways that we can connect with one another through the use of music. And we know that that can help with stress, with um, relieving stress, with um, academic goals that can work with. It can even enhance your, your workouts, you know, your physical workout as well, endurance, all of these things. We know music plays an important role. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Before we go too much further, um, what about uh, performing a song for us? I, you've got one, and I know it's dedicated to our hero, uh, the late, great John Lewis. Um, so, uh, are you guys up for doing that? Clearly you are. I see the, yeah. I see the, the <laughs> harmonica coming forward and, um, and there's a guitar there I could see somewhere. Um, yep. so it's called Let Love Be Your Guide, right? Yes. And, um, we wrote this when we were doing our social isolation song series, our 200 consecutive days of. Uh, releasing a, a video a day of a new song that started in March of 2020, the day of the nas uh, state of um, national state of emergency. Right. Um, we started writing a lot of songs, and this is. By the this, way, you were therapeutic for a lot of people, <laughs> and for yeah. ourselves too. <laughs> Um, we wrote this on the day of John Lewis's funeral, and it was based on the op-ed that was published in the New York Times that same day. And so we took his message and compiled it into this song. Mm -hmm. 
Well, there's something I must tell you now. Let love be your guide. The longing of the human heart knows how to let love be your guide. Well, I stood among you when I knew. Let love be your guide. It was clear what you were here to do. Let love be your guide. Be your guide when you're weary. Be your guide when you're unsure. The winds of change are on your side. Let love be your guide. Well, history tells us this is not new. Let love be your guide. Yesterday's lessons still hold true. Let love be your guide. Hey, hey, the night fairy was deep and long. Let love be your guide. And now the air is troubled with the sweetest song. Let love be your guide. Be your guide when you're weary. Let it be your guide when you're unsure. The winds of change are on your side. Let love be your guide. Well, I may not be with you when the day is done. Let love be your guide, but I know you'll be marching till the peace is won. Let love be your guide, be your guide when you're weary, be your guide when you're unsure. The winds of change are on your side, let love be your guide, be your guide when you're weary. Be your guide when you're unsure. The winds of change are on your side. Let love be your guide. Ooh, that was nice. Thank, Thank you. you. That was so nice. Beautiful. Beautiful. So you wrote that while we were all doing our pandemic lockdown. Let's talk about your social isolation song series, because when I saw it first with you holding up the paper and the number, <laughs> I, I, I give I, I was given Michael grief early in our our Zoom radio shows for numbering all of them and continuing to say this is number 24. This is number 36. <laughs> now we're up to 76. And uh, you guys made it OK now for me to actually. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why, but uh, yeah. In an effort to stay connected and uplift others, you performed a different song every day, right? Yeah, we did. It was it was a beautiful experience for so many reasons. But one of the things that, that we never expected. Well, for one thing, we thought the pandemic would last a month or two. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that was Wait. for starters. It didn't seem like it was going to be a big deal. Right. Um, Little did we know. I guess we hadn't lived through a pandemic before. But um, how were we to know? 
Right. Yeah, it was really our way because everyone was talking about the isolation that would result from the from things shutting down. It was our way to stay connected and, mm-hmm. and to send something out to people who might need it. And um, so we were we were revisiting so many of the songs that that were deep inside of us, um, the old songs, and then some of the you know songs that that had been written along the way for the family music. But when things started heating up in the summer of 2020, we couldn't always find the song that we wanted for the occasion. And so we started writing a lot of the songs. But the interesting thing was because we had been revisiting so many of our old old songs and different so- in different forms, um, you know, we had all this music going through us. So mm-hmm. it, it made it so much easier to sit and write a song. And we didn't, we weren't stuck in our heads. You know, we just knew every day we needed to show up and put something out there. So there wasn't time to say, is this good? Is this, we don't know. We just didn't even do that. We wrote from the heart and we put it out. And that was the beauty too, just being in that flow. And and where are they currently residing, these songs? They're in the Library of Congress digital archives. Mm -hmm. Duh. So so that's cool. (laughs) It's amazing. Really cool. Michael, did you want to ask your Haiti question now? No, I have another question about the Kennedy Center. I understand they commissioned uh, you two to do a uh, theater piece for young audiences. I think it was called Night Train 57, a sensory-friendly comic folk opera. What's about that? (laughs) Yeah, that was, uh, you know, Michael, that was another one of those beautiful moments that happened. Dan was in D.C. wrapping up his other record he had done with Smithsonian Folkways, Lead Belly Baby. We were just dating. Um, I came out there to lay some vocals on some of the tracks and we had just reached out to the Kennedy Center. We said, hey, we're in town, we'd love to do lunch. Ended up having lunch <laughs> and um, and uh, Betty Siegel, the woman we were talking to, she said, you know, I'm just gonna put this out here. Would you ever consider, um, you know, creating something, you know, being uh, commissioned by the Kennedy Center to create something for young audiences? And so Dan and I had this light bulb moment. We could do a performance, we could do a concert, but how amazing would it be to create something that was sensory friendly focused? So we took to that, we took the challenge, we created the a Night Train 57, and it's America's very first sensory-friendly comic folk opera. And we worked with a lot of the leading experts when it comes to working with, with folks with neurodiversity. Um, and we vetted it, we tried it in different uh, spaces and with different audiences. And it was incredible. Some of the most fun work that I've ever done with Dan. It was, I mean, kid-centric, but family-centric too. Folks, again, um, just thinking about how we can engage folks. This, this, this particular musical was about a train that was powered by songs. So it was about getting the audience singing and engaging the whole time. And that's when the train runs off the tracks. The more that we sing and do together, the night train 57 takes off and goes to the moon and the stars. And then the rest of the adventure begins. A little follow-up. Can you give me a little more on neurodiversity? What that means? Yeah, it, it um, you know, it really means that that we all that we all you know we're all wired differently we all think differently we, we react differently you know i think for for us our our the the biggest way into that was the more we were able to work with uh kids and families on the autism spectrum or you know kid, families that have kids on the autism mm-hmm. spectrum and so we started to see just the idea of a spectrum just that in and of itself um 
tells you that there's just a number of different ways that we think, process, and, and react. And at, the more we looked at it, the more we really started to realize that in our performing arts centers, um, that, you know, there was a rigidity to what the, what the expectation is. And in, in England, sensory friendly is referred to as relaxed programming, which is a great way of describing it. And I think, you know, when, when you really think about music, it's the old fashioned way. You know, it really is the old fashioned way. You react the way you want to mm -hmm. react. Whatever, if you feel like standing up and sitting down and standing up and sitting down during the song, Right. Go ahead. You know, that's mm -hmm. and so neurodiversity is just really recognizing um, and it's and I think I think what it also, you know, so much of what we sing about and what we talk about is really the freedom, you right. know, and, and freedom to be the people that we right. are right. and to and to imagine what would it be like to live in a society where we're free to be exactly who mm -hmm. we are. But the beauty that exists in that space too, when you really welcome people to be who they are with no parameters, just be who you are, express. It's it's a joyous experience for us on the stage, but we have found too that our audiences come back and tell us how refreshing and moving the experience is for them as well. You two are you two are great. <laughs> you two are great. When, are you gonna They know that. They know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can be told again. All right, it's okay. You never hear it too right. much. <laughs> we're, we're gonna go. We're gonna go out with a beautiful song um, that uh, I can't say the title of, so you guys sure. have to. Um, but uh, are you gonna be in Chicago anytime soon, or do you no plans yet? No, no immediate plans. No, keep we us posted. Up. You keep us sure. posted. Yeah, we'll, you... we'll want to talk to you before that happens. That would be great. And you can tell Chicago has a very, very special place in our hearts yeah. and it's and particularly the old town school of folk mm -hmm. music. So we'll I could show you my guitar case. It's got an old town school <laughs> bumper sticker on it. So yeah, we're we're uh, we're happy to have people like you out there doing such great work. Say the name of your song and we're gonna Thank you so much for being here. Thank with you. Me. Thank you for having us. So, Thank yeah, you. this next tune is a uh, Haitian Creole tune called Kilemapuewanko, which means When Will I See You Again? Peace and blessings, you guys. Thank you Thank so you. much. It was really nice. Hope to meet you in person and not too far off. Absolutely. This yeah. was wonderful. We really All right, you guys. It. Thank you again. All right. All right. Thank you. Take care.
summers for the spending. That was beautiful. That was so fun talking to those two. Yeah, I liked the two of them. It was good. Oh my gosh. What a beautiful story. So um, just to end our, our show today, if you haven't already, bring your Halloween pumpkins to compost today, Saturday, November 6th, to 6040 North Clark at the Don't Trash It, Smash It event <laughs> sponsored by Edgewater Environmental Coalition and Andersonville Chamber of Commerce. I don't know what the what is at 6040 North Clark. I'd tell you if I knew, but go there, find out, you know, smash a pumpkin. I don't, uh, I'm keeping my pumpkins. Well, you are a strange guy. Well, because no one carved them. They're just big pumpkins. We'll, we'll use them for pies and they're not too far off. Okay, good. Uh, the Metro Garden in Rogers Park between Greenleaf and Lont at Ravenswood will be planting bulbs. We've told you that today and tomorrow starting at 10 a.m. Bring a digging tool, gloves, your work clothes, yada, yada. Um, so we're going to go out with, uh, as we always do, with Our World by Twin Peaks and say to you, thanks for tuning in again for over 25 years. We've brought you live from the Heartland, now Heartland at Home, broadcast every Saturday morning. 9 a.m. Central on WLUW 88.7 FM and streaming, streaming live from luw.org. Uh, we are also archived on our channel at youtube.com slash Heartland Media and on podcasts on Spotify and Google. Thanks to our Live from the Heartland team, Luis Mejia Ahrens, Lynn Orman Weiss, and the great folks at LUW, including former intern Gwen Brown. All right, do good in the world. The world needs all the good that we do and that you do. All power to the people. Right on. Hey